As a crab scuttled amid rocks in the liquid dark, so Matthew Corbett danced across the plank floor of Sally Almond's tavern by golden candlelight. Perhaps he was not as ungainly as the crab, and perhaps he did comport a certain amount of grace and style, yet there was definitely room for improvement in his technique. In its largest room, the tavern's tables and chairs had been pushed back and space arranged for a right fair gathering. A fire crackled in the brick hearth to warm the air, though the heat of energy filled the place. Two fiddlers played, a squeeze boxer squeezed, and a drummer rattled his bones at a merry pace. The stately, gray-haired figure of Sally Almond herself had joined the festivity, clapping her hands to the bounding beat. Round and round went the swirl of dancers, among them the blacksmithing apprentice and Matthew's friend John Five and his bride Constance, the potter Hiram Stokely and his wife Patience, the Munthunk brothers Darwin and Davy, and their corpulent but surprisingly light-footed mother Munthunk. Dr. Artemis Vanderbrocken, who at seventy-six was content to mostly sip the spiced punch and enjoy the music. Felix Sudbury, the owner of the Trot Then Gallop Tavern, the printmaster Marmaduke Grigsby, Madame Kennedy the baker, another of Matthew's good friends Ephraim Owls the tailor's son, and Jonathan Paradine the undertaker, who was thin and pale and seemed to slink from place to place on the floor rather than actually dance. His lady friend, a newly arrived widow by the name of Dorcas Rochester, was equally thin and pale and slinked just the same as her bow, so the couple seemed to all to be well matched. Matthew Corbett had been in some demanding predicaments in his twenty-three years on earth. He had weathered the attack of a bear whose claw had left a crescent scar from just above the right eyebrow into the hairline. He had outrun a triad of hawks, determined to remove his eyeballs in the most ungracious fashion and he had literally managed to keep his face situated on his skull in a millhouse fight with the brutal killer Tyranthus Slaughter, among many other moments of dramatic danger. But at this moment, in the golden candlelight of Sally Almond's tavern, with the music playing and the dancers stepping through their paces, Matthew thought his own feet were perhaps the most dangerous enemies he'd yet faced— for the crossover mirror reels were treacherous in their complexity, and the elaborately bewigged dance master Gilliam Vincent, who also served as the prissy proprietor of the Dockhouse Inn, wielded a leather glove on the end of a hickory stick to slap the heads of imperfect offenders. And as Matthew made a slight stumble, here came the stick and glove, smack upon the back of his skull. When Matthew turned his head to give Gilliam Vincent a glowering stare, the dance master had lightly moved away, and so was Matthew moving away as well, caught up in the procession. Yet Mr. Vincent bore a smirk beneath his bony snoot that said he enjoyed the correcting perhaps a bit more than he ought to. "'Pay no mind to him,' said Berry Grigsby, as she came up alongside Matthew on their right shoulder pass. "'You're doing fine!' A relative term, he answered. Better than fine, she corrected as she moved past. Wonderful! Now that, he thought as he continued along the path this particular reel required, was skinning the onion and calling it a potato. 
Then he turned to find himself face to face with the 240-pound shock of woman called Mother Munthunk, and she gave him a black-toothed grin under her hatchet nose, and a whiff of breath a goat could not suffer. What a joy this evening was, Matthew thought when his eyes had ceased their watering. He regretted accepting this invitation from Berry, though he had twice before declined her note. Matthew, she had said at his door last week, I'm only going to ask you once more, and if you say no, I'll never, never ask again. And what could he do then but accept? Not only was Berry breaking what seemed like the law of God by inviting a male to a social gathering, but also implicit in the tone of her request and the low fire in her dark blue eyes was the suggestion that not only would she never ask him again, she would never speak to him again. Which would be a problem for him, since he lived in a converted dairy house just behind the Grigsby's abode, and he took supper there on occasion with Berry and her moon-faced and usually ink-stained grandfather Marmaduke. So, in respect with keeping the peace and the more selfish ambition of keeping his place at a very hospitable supper-table, what else could he do but accept? Half reels of three, Gilliam Vincent announced, with an expression that verged on a sneer. Then we shall turn to the left, give both hands, make a complete clockwise circle, and assume our places for the Mad Robin. This was supposed to be enjoyable, Matthew thought grimly. Berry had taught him the positions and steps last week, but with the fiddling and the drumming and Gilliam Vincent's stick poised to strike a blow for artful perfection, it was torment for a young problem-solver would much rather be studying the pieces on a chessboard, or, for that matter, be out on a task somewhere for his employer, the London-based Herald Agency.